So if you would open up to your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we will be reading from verses 1 through 11. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Please listen carefully, for this is the word of God. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. At this time, Pastor Susan will bring us the word. This morning when I woke up and I realized that Frank wasn't going to be here, and then that means we were going to have a full house with our youth members getting to hear this message, you know, what what occurred to me was God wanted the youth, you guys, to hear this message so much, he hurt Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Today we are in a series on Philippians, and we're in part seven called uh, the koinonia. For those of you who don't know what that word means, it's a Greek word that means fellowship, but fellowship it means more than kind of the way we tend to think what fellowship means. It means a partnership. It means a partaking of grace together and a partnership. And today we are in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. For those of you who don't know, verse 6 through 11 is a tremendously famous and important piece of Scripture. And I'm going to preach on this three times. This is the second of my three messages on this incredible piece of Scripture. And there, in verses 6, it actually starts at the end of chapter five, uh, verse 5. It says, Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about how he was in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And then he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He became a human being so that he could live a life of servanthood and obedience, even to the point of dying on a cross This is why he is exalted. There's many places in the Bible that talk about why God is exalted. And and there's kind of two great 
kind of broadly way of putting it, in one sense, God is exalted because of what I like to call his godness. <laughs> because he is almighty and omnipotent and powerful. So that's, of course, a good reason to exalt God. But actually, that's not what it's saying here. The other reason God is exalted is because of his character, because of his holiness. And in the heart of his holiness, God sent Jesus to show us what this is like. And because this holiness was expressed through Jesus in the most utmost way, and that is through his servanthood, through his humility and through his servanthood, this is what makes him most like God. This is why he is exalted. This is the greatest life. Okay? Now, much of you, there, there's this portion of Scripture that says that Jesus has not come to grasp after equality with God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And that is a critique on all of us. What is it that you're trying to grasp in your life? What is it you're trying to grasp in your life? Probably has something to do with being rich and powerful and being in control. And in this way, if you're rich and powerful and being in control, and maybe some of you are famous too, everyone's going to admire me and bow down to me and think I'm so wonderful. These are the aspects that are like God that we think that if I have this, then in my life I'll be living a great life. But as I start this message, I want to ask you this question. What do you consider the great life that you should be running toward? Are you trying to grasp after rich and powerful and people admire me? Then you're on the wrong track. Actually, there's, this whole message is for you today, which is, I'm guessing, all of you, okay? Um, and so today's a very important message. I'm very, very pleased that our, our younger brothers and sisters in the church and I'm going to teach you a very important piece of theology in today's message. And I hope it will really stay with you, actually, for all of your life. Okay. In three parts, part one. Part one, grasping and controlling versus faith, trust, and reception. Probably what you're trying to do in the, in the core of your life, you're grasping and you're trying to control. And the Bible is critiquing us. Grasping and controlling versus faith, trust, and reception. That's part one. Part two, humility and obedience at the core of a life toward holiness, as Jesus is exalted for, is humility and obedience. And part three, the obedience of the new Adam and the truly great life. And you're going to go, who's the new Adam? And I'll tell you, all right? When I get to part three, all right? Part one. Grasping and controlling. Um, I'm going to teach you a very important piece of theology now. I want you to really pay attention. It says in the passage, Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And I want to say this. This whole verse, it's, it doesn't seem like much, but that one sentence, it's a, it's a big reference to Genesis. In Genesis, chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's some very important teaching. And it says there that God made all these different creatures. He made this creature, the ones that are in the sea, and the one that creeps on the ground. And then he made a very important creature. And that is man. And he named him Adam. And Adam, I don't know if you know this, Adam is a play on words. It's his name. That is the guy's name. But Adam also just means human being. It means man. And he made Adam 
to be in the, as many of you probably know, it says this in Genesis 1, he's in the image of God. He is in the likeness of God. Okay? And I want you to catch this. So I'm going to read this again. and I'm going to, So just keep this in mind, Genesis chapter 1. Adam is made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. That is what the human being is. Every other creature is not special in this way. The human being, only the human being is like God. You understand? Only the human being is like God. I, I know that there's in some ways, okay, a, a, a lion is huge and an elephant is powerful and so forth, but none of them were made to be like God in this special way, an image God. And there's something else I'm going to say, all right? In this passage, it says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. That's actually a somewhat confusing terminology because when we use the word form, that's, that is the right word that is translated, but it actually has a very different meaning. When we use the word form, we think it's in, it's in a shape. So I can give you a model which is in the form of a car, and you're like, okay, it's in the form of a car. I can give you this is in the form of a book, but that's not what, it's, what it means. The Greek word form means in the essence, in the very core essence of. So when it says that Jesus was in the form, it means he's in the essence of God. That means he's God. It's, it's weird. It's saying he is God, he's in the essence of God, but he did not consider being equal with God something to go after. That's what it's saying. So I'm going to read this again, and I want you to keep that in mind. The essence of God and Adam was made in the likeness of God. The essence of God and the likeness of God. Keep those two things in mind. It's very important what this is saying. Hmm? Jesus Christ, who though he was in the essence of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He emptied himself, taking the essence of a servant. What is the essence of a servant? The fundamental core thing that apart from which you are not a servant, this is, he took on the essence of a servant. Being born in the, here's this word, likeness of men. And being found in human essence, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. This is a whole rewriting, it's a critique, it's a whole commentary on Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. So I'll catch this. There's Adam. Adam was made to be like God. He's made in the likeness of God. This is what it means to be a human being. In the core, core way that we're made human, you're made to be like God. That's what it means to be human. And that, but Jesus, he is, he isn't like God, he is God. <laughs> The one who is God chose not to be equal to God, and he humbled himself to put himself in the essence of being human. And the essence of being human and the essence of being a servant. The essence of being a servant. The essence of being human. And he made himself into a, the likeness of men. So catch this. There is Adam. Adam is in the likeness of God. But something went badly, badly wrong in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, especially in chapter 3. But now here is Jesus. Jesus is God. He came to be in the likeness of man. Interesting, isn't it? 
Adam isn't supposed to be in the likeness of God, but he screwed it up in some seriously bad way, which now screwed us up. Jesus is God, but he came to be in the likeness of man in order to heal us of what screwed up. Now, here's a story. Let me retell you the story of Genesis chapter 3 in maybe a way you never considered. Adam is made in the image of God in the likeness of God. And God gave him everything in paradise. And he put himself, and he put Adam over all of the, the earth and all of creation. I mean, many of you may think that, um, like I said, that there are other powerful creatures. Um, you hear this term that the lion is the, is the king of the jungle? That's completely wrong. Man is the king of the jungle. Absolutely man is the king of the jungle. Because if we wanted to, we could kill every single lion there is. It, when a lion sees us, if he's smart, he should run away. <laughs> he really should. And then you guys, some of you guys have seen this very controversial video. This guy shot. I mean, come on. I mean, because it's true. We are far more powerful than a lion. Because God gave us, in his image, we have smarts and creativity to be able to rule over the earth. That's the way God made us. But he intended us to do this to be like him. So, Adam is living in paradise. He's ruling over the earth. He's working the garden. And then there's only one thing he has to obey. And in this passage, it talks about Jesus obeyed. Right? He obeyed even unto the cross. And it's going to be very important later in my message. But there's only one thing he had to obey. You can eat all the fruit there's out there, but there's one, there's a forbidden fruit of this forbidden tree. Don't touch it. Don't grasp after it. Get it? Do not grasp after this. Don't even touch it or you will die. Now, some of you people wonder, what is it? Was it an apple? I mean, who knows what it was? Okay, it may not have been an apple, by the way. For all we know, it was a peach. Okay? The forbidden peach. Okay? The forbidden pineapple. Whatever it was. Okay? Um, so, but it was very clear, don't touch it. Now, some people hear this story and think it's really stupid. Like, if you eat an apple, you're supposed to go to hell? What's, what's with this? This is the stupidest story I've ever heard. The people who read the story that way don't understand what's going on. When God forbid this fruit, it wasn't about fruit. <laughs> I mean, I don't think God minds whether you eat apples or, or peaches, okay? That's not what it was about. God put a principle in this forbiddenness because now he says, will you... Adam, figure out how you are to be a human being. Adam, if you will obey this, you will understand the difference in the right way to be like me versus the wrong way to be like me. The right way versus the wrong way. And God put a line in there, a line that says that if you cross over this way, if you cross this, it will go into something, it will take you to a place of death. God is good. God is righteous. God is holy. He would never do anything for us which was bad. He would never do anything for us which was um, unrighteous and not good. And then he, he says, if you would cross this line, you will cross over into evil. Okay. What was the evil that was so bad that now has corrupted all of human nature and now we're, we're, in, we're in danger of hellfire? What is so bad? Adam was supposed to be like God. 
But in the Bible, when, you, when, you, when, the, when the, there's all the different ways that God is described, theologians have talked about God as there's having two broad categories of God's attributes. And I want you to catch this. One broad category is God in his power. Or I like to call it God in the godness of God. The thing that only God gets to be. And that is he's omnipotent. He is almighty. He's the ruler of all things. All must obey him for he is he only knows all things and only has all power, okay? That's, what, that's the aspect of God. But there's a whole other set of attributes of God which make God God, and that is his character. And the way the Bible sums up his character is that he is holy. And what does holiness mean? That there is in him no sin at all. That he is wholly good. That he is fully wise that he is serving, and he is kind, and he is gentle, and he is loving, and guess what? He is humble. And when God placed Adam in that garden and put human beings to rule over the creation, what was important that God wanted to be spread around creation? Was it his power? His almightiness? No. That's not what he wanted. What was very important that was so beautiful in him that he had to make other beings that are like him so that he would spread this beauty of God, this likeness of God, all throughout the creation was his holiness. His holiness, his righteousness, his wisdom, his love, his kindness, his gentleness. That is what God wanted. And yet, when Adam was there, what did he want? He wanted the power. He wanted to know, I wanted to have all knowledge. And so then he crossed over this thing and he grasped after equality, power with God. He sought to be like God in the worst, most wicked way. And guess what? Now we're all like this. We're all like this. This great life that you're seeking, what is the great life that you're seeking? Probably if you think, if I'm just richer and more powerful, and if I just know all the, everything I need to know, and all kinds of people obey me and bow down to me and do things according to my will, then my life will be fulfilled. Then we'll have a good life. Actually, this was the pathway to hell. This was, this was the step toward wickedness and death which is now which, what, which corrupts us all. And instead, instead, what God wanted was, Adam, have humility. Have gentleness. Seek obedience. And the whole earth will be covered with my glory and my beauty. It's his holiness which is precious. You know that in the beginning of the Bible, God is exalted because he is powerful. But did, do you know that the end of the Bible, where the Bible culminates, you know, why, you know how he is exalted? Because he is holy. <laughs> you know how, why Jesus is exalted in Revelation? Not because he is almighty, because he is the son of God, because he created the heavens and earth. That's not why it says that every creature will bow down to Jesus. It says because he came down, because he became the lamb of God, he was utterly holy and humble and obedient this is why he is exalted. This is the true humanity. This is the true way that we're supposed to be like God. This is the way human beings were supposed to utterly reflect the divine. And, and this is what Paul is saying is so broken, what Jesus came to heal and to fix. Now, 
Before I move on to part two, what is the crucial way that Jesus came to bring humility back into the world? I mean, back, uh, to bring holiness back in the world, and that is humility. Let me go to part two of my message. Humility and obedience. Um, part two, humility and obedience. Um, I am convinced, I've been a pastor for a number of years now, and I have been trying to teach people humility and what, I'm convinced people don't even know what it is. <laughs> you think, I know what humility is, pastor? I'm like, probably not. <laughs> I don't mean to be mean toward you, but you, you probably don't. A lot of people think humility means not boasting. So we all know what is the, the virtue of humility, the righteousness and holiness of humility that it answers. The, the sin that it answers is pride. And many, many uh, of the best Bible thinkers, and one of my favorites, who one of my heroes, is Augustine. Augustine said, at the core wickedness of human beings is pride. And many people think, what is what pride is? What does that look like? It's, it's look at me. I'm so great. I'm so good looking. I'm so rich. I'm so powerful. And you know what? We do. As soon as a person has some attributes of, of being powerful and good looking and rich and having attained great things, we bow down to this person and everybody goes, okay, that's greatness, right? And so we, if a person could be like this and then they boast of these things, I'm um, this way, we think, oh, that's pride. Well, that is pride, but it's not really all of pride. Um, it's actually funny. Um, just, uh, just the other day, I was watching, um, uh, any of you ever watch ESPN 30 for 30? Uh, for those of you, ESPN 30 for 30, you should, it's great, okay? Um, it's, a, it's a series of documentaries, of great documentaries, um, and they're often sports stories, but the reason they're so great is they're not just sports stories, they're human stories. And so even if you're not a sports fan, I recommend ESPN 30 for 30, okay? And there's an ESPN 30 for 30 episode in which um, Michael Jordan, I don't know if you did this, he had won three world championships, and everyone pretty much universally said, oh, dude, that guy's the best, like the best ever, <laughs> okay? And he then re suddenly retired to play baseball because his father had been murdered, and then he wanted to fulfill his father's dream to honor his dead father of playing baseball, and he was dead serious. It was really crazy. And so um, the, 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 the documentary is called Jordan Rides the Bus, and so here's Michael Jordan playing minor league baseball, the greatest basketball player ever. <laughs> the man has power and riches and glory. I mean, the guy's even good looking, even when he's bald, okay? I mean, it's like, come on. <laughs> it's, just, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, I wish I could be bald and be good looking, but that's, I'm sure, not true, okay? Um, but and so I was watching this video and thinking, it's like Jesus. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of crazy. Here is great, here is power. And they kept asking him. People could not believe this. They just could not believe this. I mean, the sports writers were saying, oh, this is just some kind of stunt. Right? It was, it was like they could not believe that Michael Jordan would be willingly lower himself and play. So he's playing in like these small towns. These small towns, and guess what happens? The phone is ringing off the hook, and thousands and thousands of people are going to these dumpy little small towns to watch minor league baseball. 
Because the greatest basketball player who's ever lived, they want to watch him swing a bat, even though he's not even good at it. And this is something, and Michael Jordan, when he's, I'm the great, be like Mike, that's, okay, we know that's pride. But actually, when he made himself nothing and rode a bus and didn't mind being yelled at by his coach because he didn't know how to swing a bat yet, that's humility. <laughs> now, one aspect of humility that, that with pride is that. Look at me, look at me. This is why, you know, I don't know if you understand this. Um, this is why you buy the clothes you do. There's so many people who, who drive a car. It's a look at me car. <laughs> it's a I made it car. <laughs> like it's the clothes we buy. It's, a hair, it's the way we wear our hair. It's the I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I'm to be admired. It's pride. But there's a whole other set of aspect of, of uh, hu humility and the humility and pride is this. There's one way to say that, of, of, of to be poisoned with pride, and that is I'm so great. You know the other way that you can be afflicted with, pot, with pride? I'm so bad. You know what the other expression of pride is? It's insecurity. <laughs> Deep down, uh, oh, I'm not good enough looking. I'm not good enough looking. So then spending so much time on the hair. You know, my daughter, I, I, you know, I won't say which one. She has, I'll just, just give you a hint. She, her hair is long, okay? <laughs> she came out of the shower yesterday, and we had to go someplace. And she goes, I'm going to brush my hair. And I'm like, there we go. <laughs> she just has to brush her hair. So we have to wait for her to brush her hair. Now, I'm not trying to criticize her anyway, because all you ladies do this. Come on. And as a man, I understand. <laughs> um, because why? We all have this need, because we're all insecure, Oh, uh, that's why you, many of you, you know why you study hard? You don't study hard because you actually want and prize knowledge. You study hard because you're insecure that if you don't get certain grades, people will think you're dumb. You won't get to a good college, and then you'll be a loser. That's what you think, insecure. And so everything about what we do is, is filling up this thing. You know what humility takes? It takes... You can be lowly and be in your own skin. Humility is not, oh, I'm so bad. I'm, oh. That's not what humility is at all. Humility is to forget yourself. The, the whole problem with insecurity is always constantly, oh, about myself, myself, myself. So you're always trying to fill this thing. And pride, that's how pride manifests itself. The pride manifests itself, I'm so great, I'm so bad. And a person can only be truly humble when his heart is full. And then he can forget himself. That's when he can turn to somebody else and come into the form of the essence of a servant. Then he can serve. I'll serve you. Not just because I have to. Not because I'm paid to. Not because, well, you know, I'll just incur some kind of punishment. But because in the essence, I will serve you of my heart. I'm full. I can serve you. Here's holiness and humility. And it's into this pathway that Jesus came to bring humility and to seek obedience. The obedience to serve others and bless them. This is the whole drama of human life. Everywhere around the world, you're meeting prideful people, insecure prideful people, boasting arrogant prideful people. Just in other words, people just like you and me, just like you. <laughs> That's what you're meeting all the time. 
And you know what this means? The world is unholy, broken, and awful. That's what it means. To get at this uh, second, this issue of humility and um, obedience, I want to read from you a passage from a book that has been deeply blessing me. It's called The Heart of a Servant. <laughs> the Heart of a Servant Leader, written by a legendary pastor, a guy named C. John Miller, better known as Jack Miller. When my wife and I lived in Philadelphia, we went to a church called New Life Presbyterian Church of Glenside. It was planted by Jack Miller. <laughs> Jack Miller um, is a legendary pastor, very deservedly so. And it wasn't because he was the smartest guy, some super great, like, and he was a good leader, but he wasn't, he wasn't known for the usual things that people tend to admire past for. Oh, super great theology, he wrote this great book, he's so brilliant. Nobody said Jack was brilliant, actually. I think the secret of Jack was humility, obedience holiness. Jack found out this is the secret of the human life. And I'm going to read you a, a letter. He wrote this. This is a book. It was a series of letters that he wrote to various different leaders. Some were missionaries planting churches in other countries and the way people that he had mentored to help them grow, to grow as leaders, to help to grow in holiness, to help other people that they meet as they proclaim the gospel. And um, and these are letters. When I first read this, I was like, man, these are like the epistles of Jack. <laughs> I like reading the epistles of Paul, but this is like the epistles of Jack. It's okay. It's, I know it's not infallible scripture, okay? <laughs> but this will help us illumine scripture. And I'm going to read this to you, and I hope this will help you toward humility and seeking a life pursuing obedience. That's what he says. You'll remember how I said at the conference on Sunday morning that Jesus knocks at the front door of the heart. Are you guys familiar with this? It says in Revelations 3.20 that Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. He opens the door. I will come in and fellowship with him. I will sup with him. That's what it says. Jesus says, I will come in and be with you. If you open the door, I stand at the door and knock. That's what it says. And he goes, but actually, this is Jack's picture of our life. Jesus standing at the front door and knock, but this is what we typically do instead. He goes, in response to Jesus being at the front door, we do not immediately open the door through our free will, via our free will. Instead, we quickly put locks on the door and push furniture against it in order to keep Jesus out. This is what he says we do. Jesus is knocking on your door. You're locking it, shoving furniture up against it. He says this is how we behave. The Lord then sends the Holy Spirit to slip in the back door of your life. The Spirit goes down into the basement where he turns up the heat and sets fire until the rising heat forces us to remove the barriers and open the front door and let Jesus in. I believe that the Lord keeps right on using this backdoor approach in our growth in grace. This is Jack's description of life. <laughs> Look, um, he sets fires in our basements by putting us in limiting and painful circumstances. 
right after our return to Jenkintown, that's where he lives, all right? Um, actually, my wife and I, we lived in that town too, Jenkintown. From the missions conference, I woke up one morning with a swollen foot. It was really sore. In answer to your prayers and those of others, Jesus healed me. But for more than two weeks, I certainly felt the heat from the basement. <laughs> I felt the fire from the basement through my foot. I had so much to do, both working on support raising, getting ready to go overseas. I mean, he's a, he was a busy pastor, very fruitful and busy pastor. It became a hard but good. It's hard, but it was a good time. So I meditated further on how the Spirit ministers, the ministry of the Spirit, especially on the tension between my assertion of my independence, my assertion of my lordship, my assertion of the way I'm in control. In other words, the way I grasp after equality to God. See it? I meditated between on my assertion of independence and the Spirit's yearning to bring us, to bring me into a powerful dependence upon himself. And that's emphasized. Italics. A powerful dependence upon God. Look, many of you, I, I hear this all the time. You go into some bad circumstance or a painful thing that happens in your life, and the first thing you begin to do is complain. And then some of you complain at God. Where's God? Isn't he supposed to love me? Where's his grace? And you complain that you're in this hard place or in this hard circumstance or this bad hand has been dealt into your life, and then you're thinking, God has, has abandoned me. You know what Jack thinks? God hasn't abandoned you. He's in the basement. <laughs> He's right there with you. Because all of us, you too, me too, you know what? We profoundly underestimate our deepest problem. Our deepest problem is that we're always grasping after lordship. We're always trying to be in control. We're always trying to be independent be in control of my own life, independent of God and of others. That's our deepest problem. And so God won't let you do that. He won't let you be that way. So then you know what he does? So then Jesus goes, oh, here we go again. All right, I'm going to love them. So when he does, sends the Holy Spirit, sets fire to your basement. And when the, it's on fire. I need the fireman. Oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> The only fireman I know of that can handle this fire is Jesus. And you start moving out the furniture and you open up the front door. Please, Jesus, come on into my life. It's, it's on fire. <laughs> and you know what then? Jesus doesn't yell. He doesn't scream at you. You dummy. Why would you, you put the locks on there? That's not what he does. Humility. He comes to serve. In essence, to serve us. Heal us. Puts out the fire. And then for a while we remember how great Jesus is. And then we push him out again. <laughs> we push him out again. Hey, Jesus, I, on this one, I want to be in control. Shove him out again. And it happens all over again. Hmm. Happens all over again. Then Jesus goes, oh, here we go again. Sends the spirit in through the back door. <laughs> sets fire to the basement. <laughs> and here we go again. Can you relate? Oh, I can relate. Jack goes on to say, 
we have an obsessive need to feel in control of our lives. Obsessive need, that's the way I put it. Such a hunger is a primary obstacle to the Holy Spirit's working mightily in us and through us. Busyness is a hindrance to fellowship with the Lord. But what lies behind our need to fill up every last moment with activity? Are you a busy person? I'm a busy person. Are you a very busy person? Probably Jack will say there's something wrong with you. Why do we do this? Why do we have to fill up our whole life with activity all the time? One of Jack's answers is this. The answer is that we want to be in charge of our lives. And our constant activity gives us the feeling that we are mastering our world. Doesn't that sound something like God mastering the world? There are certain key areas where we hold on to control and weaken the spirits working in ourselves. Some of us want to retain control over our tongues, and we use them to defend my rights. Always, that's, that's, that's the way we use our tongues. My rights. And then we gossip. Oh, we tear down other people so that we can feel good about ourselves. And then, and we shift blame to others. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was them. Because how can you be Lord and master of your life if you got bad things? That's why, you gotta, that's why we're always having to shove our sins on others. That's why we use our tongues that way. Because we lack holiness. We're always grasping after equality God through our insecurity and pride. Other of us, others of us determine to say no to extreme suffering, both for ourselves and for our families. Many cling tenaciously to self-centered ambitions, material possessions, and reputations. That's like a description of San Jose. Then inwardly, most of us want, to es- want an escape clause in our obedience to the Father. So this is what we're meant to be. Deep down, we're supposed to be sons and daughters of God, and sons and daughters obey from the heart. <laughs> they willingly serve their Father. We want To be free, that's the word we use. To say no if at any time in life we find the Lord putting us in a position where we must give up our treasured idols, especially the idol of being in control and being my own Lord. Has not even a great gift like the family today become a major idol for Christians? He wrote this many years ago. Things haven't changed at all, has it? Many would like to be missionaries or other servants of the king, but they do not wish to make their families suffer for the kingdom. So many families trying to make their kids have a perfect life, set up everything for a perfect life. Jack would say, you're just trying to control everything. You're trying to be God, and you're not trusting in God. You're not allowing there to actually be suffering because God is okay with allowing there to be suffering because actually the suffering is a way to be like Christ. Why then is the Holy Spirit not leading us more, more of us into a maximum Christian life? Let me, put, let me say maximum Christian life this way. A truly great life where your life is like God. An incredibly great life where your life will shine forth divinity. The answer, the reason the Holy Spirit is not leading more of us into this type of life 
is that we are letting him have only a very minimal control over our life choices, both as individuals and families. We do not want him to lead us too far along the path of righteousness for fear that we may get hurt or someone we love may get hurt. But the concern of the Holy Spirit is contrary to our self-protective, self-lordship agenda. He has a holy passion. See that word, holy? The Holy Spirit has a holy passion to make us holy, which is to glorify Christ. He wishes to honor Christ for his complete self-giving in his suffering. He also wishes to bring us into partnership with the Lord's work. Let me say that a little differently. He wishes to bring us into koinonia, a fellowship, a partaking, partaking of the gospel, a partnership with the Lord's work, and fill us up with the Lord's suffering in his disciples. This. If you want a pathway toward humility, I want to, let me just say three little quick things before I go to the final portion of my message. Number one, stop trying to control everything. Two, put this thought in your mind. I don't know enough to be in control of my life. I'm not wise enough to be in control of my life. God is. So one, stop trying to control everything. And one of the great things, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5, 6 says, Trust in the Lord in all your ways and lean not, not on your own understanding. Do not lean on, on your understanding. Don't lean on your understanding and be a fool. Trust in the Lord. Trust. Number one, stop trying to control. Two, stop trying to trust. Three, open your heart up to seek the essence of being a servant toward others. See the ways the Lord would want you to serve. And you'll become humble. Let me go to the final portion of my message. The obedience of the new Adam and the truly great life. There's Adam, which is just another name for a human being. He sought to be like God in the most wicked way. And God's answer was to bring holiness, the very core of which was humility, unto obeying God, trusting God, receiving, obeying, humility. See, humility isn't, isn't oh, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. <laughs> it's just forgetting yourself because you're so filled <laughs> that you could gladly serve. If you ever want to know what holiness looks like, this is the road. This is the road. It's not being this really religious person. I'm going to do all the praying and I'm going to do all this Christian-y, Christian-y, churchy, churchy stuff. That's not necessarily holiness. Holiness is being this really still, gladly, easygoing, self-forgetful person who could gladly, willingly serve others because he's humble. She can obey God. That's the pathway. And if you can do this, you know what it would be? You'd be more like Jesus. Jesus came. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to give you three words, and I'm going to close this message. Jesus came for this. Jesus said, I want you to obey me so that you can do something to help all these other broken people who are so prideful and insecure. 
That's what the Father told Jesus to do. And the ultimate thing that Jesus had to obey was the cross. The night before he went to the cross, Jesus had a pretty serious showdown with the Father. It was at a place called Gethsemane. Jesus, the showdown was so profound, Jesus sweat, it was like blood. And he said, Father, I really don't want to take and drink this cup. But then you know what he said next? But not my will. <laughs> All his humility said, not my will. I'll obey you. Your will be done. And in that moment, Jesus, he pushed back every wrong thing Adam did. Adam said, when he crossed over, grasped that tree. He said, my will be done, not yours, God. And in that moment, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. In Romans chapter 5, this is the way it is described. There was an Adam, and he took us to death. But then there was another Adam, a new Adam, a second Adam who brought a whole new kind of humanity. His name is Jesus. How did he do it? He did it when he said, not my will. He obeyed with all his humility, his humility, and he served us on the cross. Do you want a great life? Do you want a life that if you would do this, your life will just overflow? It's your life will be so great that God will want to exalt your name, something like the name of Jesus. So that's, I mean, when it's saying that Jesus is the greatest name, that's the greatest life. That if you will live a life, all the people in heaven will say, you were like Jesus. We, you're one of the greats. Greater than Michael Jordan. <laughs> because you were like Jesus. You want, a, you want a life like this? It's a run toward humility and obedience like him. And I know some of you are saying, but pastor, I, I, can't, I, I can't be like Jesus. I'm so filled. I mean, you don't even know. Pastor, you don't. Actually, I do know. <laughs> I do know, but you just don't think I know because you think I'm a holy man. But when I first read this, um, when I first read this letter, I wept. Because um, over the last couple years, I, I, I've been your pastor for now more than six years. And I, and you have, you know, I, I preach passionately. Many of you guys know I work hard and long hours. And, and I have theology, but I have felt that in my, I have always constantly trying to be successful and help you and do this with my own powers and with my own smarts. And there's this part of me that says, if, if our church is good and if I do a good job and people will say, Sisong, you're so great. What a great pastor you are. And there's all this wickedness in me because I want to do it with my power and my ind independence. And as much as I know that this is wrong, I can't get this out of my system. And so I started to fast one day per week to pray through this. And I started praying every Monday. I'm fasting and I'm hungry and I'm praying, Lord, I need a better bread than the bread I feel like eating right now. 
And I knew that the Lord would send me on pathway toward this life. And he gave me Jack Miller. <laughs> That's what he gave me. And when I read this letter, I wept out of conviction. And I also wept because I knew Jesus was loving me. He was sending the Holy Spirit to me to teach me. And he'll teach you. It's not because I'm a pastor. I can tell this to you because I'm just as wicked as you. <laughs> I know I'm just as wicked as you, if not more. Huh? I'm going to say three things to you. This is how you could drink in the gospel and apply it to yourself. Huh? Number one, you, throughout your life you're supposed to obey God. And of course you're going to fail. You're going to fall down and fail many times. And when you do, you're going to say, oh, don't beat yourself up. Look to the obedience of Jesus. And remember that he obeyed for you in your place. So that every time you disobey and fail, you'll always know you're not under condemnation. He'll pick you up again so you can obey. Because he's already obeyed for you. First thing I'd like to say. Number two, you're so full of insecurity and pride, and you're going to fall down that again and again and again. If you fight it, if you fight it, Jesus is alive in you. Next time you fall down with disobedience and pride, don't go, oh, gosh, I suck so much. Instead, fight it. Come back and fight. Will there be days you lose this fight? Yes. But if you fight, you will grow. If you're fighting it, the Holy Spirit is there in you. Jesus is there with you. And I want you to see this. Every time you're there, every time you're there, just remember, Jesus is fighting the fight for you. He sent the Spirit to be there with you. If you will fight to let the Spirit control you and not be trying to control everything through your flesh, you will grow. You will change. And the last thing I want to say to you is this. If you believe in Jesus, He has always got the Spirit in you. The Spirit is living in your house. <laughs> he's in your heart. Yes, sometimes He's setting fire to the basement. But that's love. Huh? And you know what? You're going to be at days. You're going to have these days when I failed and I'm, I'm so prideful. And, and I want you to believe this. Go to your front door and open it. Jesus will come in. You don't think he will because you're so bad. I'm so bad. I did that again, and I'm so, I'm such a failure. How could you love me, Jesus? How could you want to be with me? But actually, if you feel the prompting, maybe will Jesus actually love me? That's the Holy Spirit. Remove the furniture. Open the front door. Jesus will come and be there with you. I don't know where you go to be with Jesus. Is it your bedroom? <laughs> Open the door. He'll come and be there with you. And I know it seems like you're all there by yourself, but you're not. Pour all, put all, say, Jesus, I give you my pride. I give you all my insecurity. I give you all my wickedness of my flesh, all the ways that I grasp after being God in wicked ways. Now I want to be like you in holiness. Sit there with him. 
Ask him to do this to you. Ask him to give you his humility. He's going to put his humility on you. It's like a balm. It's like a healing balm. Ask him to give you a heart of obedience. He'll give this to you. If you need to do this every day, do it. Spend five minutes, two minutes, an hour being with Jesus and thinking on how Jesus obeyed for you, how he was humble for you, just thinking about him and how he's loved you even though you sucked it up and you screwed it up. And if you will do this again and again and again, you will change, you will grow, I promise you. And I can say this not because I'm a pastor and not because I know the right answer, but because I'm a wicked sinner. And this is what I do. This is really what I do. If you ever want to know where Pastor Son gets it, to be able to continue to follow Jesus, this is it. This is what I do. I open the front door. I let Jesus in. I give him all my pride and insecurity. He takes it. He doesn't yell at me. He doesn't wag his finger. He never, he's never impatient. I've spent many, many, many hours with Jesus. He's never been impatient. It's an incredible thing. And the balm of his humility and his patience washes over me. And the next day I can live for him. I promise you, you'll change. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that my brothers and sisters in this room would believe what I said. I, I spoke not as some all-knowing, holy pastor. I spoke very much as a prideful, insecure, wicked sinner. Very much too much like Adam and not enough like the new Adam, Jesus. I want to be a new kind of human being. The kind of human being that is going to wander. One day you're going to make me and all throughout the earth there's going to be just millions and billions of people who are utterly humble, filled with joy and servanthood and obedience. The world will be awash in holiness. We'll be drowning in love and servanthood and humility. And how can that not be heavenly? Of course it will be heavenly. It is heavenly when I just taste even a little bit of humility from others. So Jesus, would you do this in me? Would you do this in my brothers and sisters? Would you continually keep loving us and setting fire to our basements? Continually keep giving us your spirit. Your spirit who drives us to the front door to open up our hearts to you, Jesus. And I pray you would give my brothers and sisters faith that they're not doing a piece of religion. They're not doing some piece of weird activity when they sit and open their heart up to you and ask you to come sit with them and sup with them and give them the balm of your humility and mercy and kindness and grace. Thank you, Jesus that though, though we're so terrible and we're always so jealous to grasp after your power, instead, you set aside your power 
to give us of your humility and holiness and love. Help us to receive of this love and that we may conform into the new Adam, this new humanity, so that we may be a blessing and live the truly great life. In Jesus' name.